Welcome to the Dayspring Community Church Podcast. Check out our website at dayspringonline.org. And now, Dr. Matt Friedemann. Why don't you turn in that Bible this morning to Acts 9. Now, we're going to read the passage this morning. And as we do that, I want you to ask this question. Who was your Ananias? And then I want you to ask the second question as we read through. Whose Ananias will you be? Maybe even this week. So, Acts 9, this is the story of the conversion of Saul. Now Saul, still bringing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So as he was traveling, it happened that as he was approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus. Those three words right there must have been the most shocking things that he could have possibly heard in that moment. I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Get up. Enter the city. It will be told you what you must do. So the men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground And though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. By the way, I think he was probably in his devotions. Remember, they prayed three times a day. I don't know that. I just suspect he was in his time of devotions. By the way, a great time for God to give you instruction about what you're supposed to be doing with your life, even today, during devotion. At any rate, Ananias, he says, I love this. Here I am, Lord. Can you just say it with me right now? Here I am, Lord. One more time. Beautiful. And so, having said that, The Lord said to him, get up, go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Now, this is what I think about that. Saul is in his time of devotion. Now, it's kind of forced devotion. You can't see now, and he thinks, man, I don't know what just happened. I just heard the name Jesus. That's the last person I thought I was going to call Lord today. And so he's spending time in devotion, forced devotion, but devotion nonetheless. Two guys spending time in devotion that say, hey, I need you guys to link up. I'm planning something. And so it happens. Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. In fact, he killed one of them, if you remember that. 
And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is my chosen instrument to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the sons of Israel. And I will show him how much he, how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And after laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there, from his eyes came something like scales. And he regained his sight and he got up and he was baptized and he took food and was strengthened. Mm. Jesus, help us with this. And I want to know this morning... Could you show everybody here today who our Ananias was? We may have had a, might have had a series of them, but help us to recognize that so that we might know to whom we might need to be an Ananias even this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Did a little experiment. I saw this thing, and so I thought, let me, let me try this. And so I went across several websites, and it's, uh, this particular website is uh, top 10 list, top10list.org. And uh, I just wanted to see what they would say, because I saw this, and then I said, well, let me go check that out. And I tell you, if you ever want to see a disappointing list of stuff, choose top 10 list, the most important events in human, not American, in human history, and see the list. It will cause you utter dismay. If you know anything about history, utter dismay. Uh, so remember, these are the top 10 Important events in human history from the beginning of time going all the way back to Genesis 1. Number one. I don't care if you are an American, this has to be dismaying to you. The signing of the U.S. Constitution. Really? In all of human history? The signing of the U.S. Constitution? I think England has something to say about that. I think Rome would say, wait a minute, can I have a question here? I would think God... Starting the world would have a question about the signing of the U.S. Constitution, the number one event in human history. Wow. Okay, number two. So I'm not going to do that with every one of these, please. I just want to go on a little tirade there. World War I and World War II. Number three, the assassination of Julius Caesar. Number four, the invention of the printing press. And there's something to be said there. You wouldn't have this Bible today without that. Um, the invention of the airplane, number five. Number six, the Declaration of Independence. Number seven, the invention of gunpowder. Number eight, the discovery of the Western Hemisphere. And number nine, finally, thank the Lord, the death of Jesus. And number ten, the death of Muhammad. That's the top ten lists in human history, according to the site. Now, I thought, well, that must have just been a bunch of idiots. So let me go check out other things. And sure enough, every list you check out like this on the web is exceedingly disappointing. 
I mean, horribly disappointing. And so I'm thinking, well, what would I put down? I think we could make the case as Christians today that the top four greatest events in human history are found in the first five books of the New Testament. Two of them are found in the book of Acts, and three of the four didn't even make the list. So one of the ten top greatest events in history, no question about it, was the death of Jesus Christ. But has anybody got something to say about maybe the life of Jesus Christ? Death is pretty important. Atoning death, I get that. But we wouldn't even know about that death unless there's Pentecost. Remember the Pentecost? Spirit filling of believers, and they all of a sudden get shot out to tell the world about this life, this death, this resurrection of Jesus Christ. Shouldn't that make the list somehow? Anyway, so we wouldn't even know about the death of Jesus Christ if it weren't for the resurrection, for Pentecost, and of course, the event we're going to look at today. This is what scholar William Larkin says. The most important event in human history apart from the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, that's three events right there, life, death, and resurrection. But outside of those three things, the most important event in human history is the conversion to Christianity of Saul of Tarsus. If Saul had remained a Jewish rabbi, we wouldn't have 13 of 27 books of the New Testament and Christianity's early major expansion to the Gentiles. And humanly speaking, without Paul... Christianity would probably be of only antiquarian or of arcane interest. It's kind of like the Dead Sea Scrolls or Samaritans. We'd know something about Jesus, but probably not much without this guy converted by Jesus, saved by Jesus, sent by Jesus to suffer for Jesus. So this event was important enough that Jesus spent his 13th and last post-resurrection appearance to make it happen. I would think that'd be pretty important. So let's investigate this story further. It says that Paul's headed to Damascus. Now, <coughs> we think we know what, uh, what this Saul guy's all about. Uh, this isn't actually written in any phrase or sentence in the book, but we think that he's probably the hitman for the synagogue of the freedmen, not the freedmen. The synagogue of the freedmen. Because... There were a group of people that the emperor back then grabbed up and said, listen, I have some projects I want you Jewish guys to be all about up in this area of the world. It's around the Tarsus area and and a a far-flung area up there. We think that maybe Saul's dad was part of those projects. So I want you to do a big building project with me up here. We're going to work on canals, going to work on buildings, going to work on... And I want you to come up here and be that. And so Saul's dad would have done that. And then somewhere along the line, have won his freedom because he was such a good worker or paid for his freedom, which meant he became a Roman citizen. And because Saul's dad was a Roman citizen, he therefore was also a Roman citizen, which is going to be very helpful in the chapters ahead from this. So we think that's what it's about. But what happened was they were very, very, shall we say, mad people. They lived angry. And the reason they were angry is because the Romans were making them work on these projects, but they weren't letting them take the Sabbath off. They weren't letting them follow the eating regulations that they're supposed to follow by Torah, by the first five books of the Bible. So they weren't able to follow any of God's precepts for them, but they're forced to labor. And so they were just ticked off. And finally they get their freedom, and as many as could came back to Jerusalem to hang out 
And when they got back to Jerusalem, they made their own little synagogue called the Synagogue of the Freedmen. And these guys are the Pharisee affair. They're not nice. They're thinking, now we're going to live this law and we're going to force everybody else to live it. And anybody that doesn't live it, we're going to make feel really bad about their lives and eventually take their lives, which is what Saul's doing. He finds out now we've got a movement on our hands. It's kind of a Jewish movement, but it's Christianity, the people of the way, believers in Jesus Christ. So what we've got to do is snuff this thing out. And they start with all number of people, but the most prominent here in chapter 7 was Stephen. If you remember, we made the case when we talked about chapter 7 that Saul was in charge of that death. He was in charge of the stoning of Stephen. So this isn't the guy that just says, hey, we're going to push people around and say, quit following Jesus. No, we're going to take him, and we may just have to kill him. Now, that would be illegal death. Stephen was an illegal thing. They don't care if it's illegal. This is how they're operating. They're mad. And so Saul is now headed to Damascus to get men and women. This is what Mary said on the way this morning. Women. I wonder if that was normal. Equal opportunity guy that Saul is. We're going to take men and women, and we're just going to see about this Christian faith of theirs. Fully intending to kill who he has to kill. Then all of a sudden, of course, he's intercepted. The reason he's going to Damascus is because it represented much more to Saul than any other stop on his campaign of repression. It was the hub. Damascus was a hub of vast commercial network with far-flung lines of caravan trade reaching into the North Syria, into Mesopotamia, into Anatolia, Persia, and Arabia. So if this new way of Christianity can work in Damascus, it's going to go all over the world. We've got to nip it in the bud before it goes all over the world. And Damascus seems to be the place where they're going to nip it. Now, on the way, Saul wasn't anticipating that a light is going to come upon him. Wham! And he falls to the ground. We don't know if he was on a horse. Doesn't say that. I've always kind of seen him on a horse, but doesn't say that here. But whatever, he goes to the ground, and he all of a sudden can't see. The physical effects of blindness are two. Here it's physical, no question about it, but it would have hurt his heart in so much that he knows what this blindness is all about the more he thinks about it. One of the major themes in Luke Acts is this. God's final salvation is a recovery of sight to the blind. And now he's blind. And this. Jews will be a light to the nations. And now he's not a light anymore. He can't see anything. And then the last miracle before the cross was the blind beggar as he approached Jericho. And now Saul himself is blind. And then, of course, Jews, especially the rabbis, especially the Pharisee of Pharisees, especially the synagogue of the freedmen, know this. We are, as a people, supposed to be a guide to the blind. We're supposed to be their guides. That's our role with the Gentiles. We're supposed to guide those bunch of blind people. And now, all of a sudden, he is blind. And during his meditation, during his prayer, and as they're leading him by hand into Damascus, you have to wonder if he's thinking, what must this mean? Jesus showing himself to me 
making me blind when I'm supposed to be a guide to the blind. Now it says this. There was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. Hmm. Now, in these times, you were given a body, a soul, and a name. That was what they said. It's kind of a fun thing they taught each other. We are given a body, we're given a soul, and we're given a name. So whatever reason you were given a name for, you were supposed to live into that name. Now, I come from Great Bend, Kansas. And so if it had been a normal situation, uh, they would have named me for, say, Jerry Friedman. My dad's Jerry. And uh, if not me, then my older brother. Neither one of us are named that. I think dad said, don't be like me, get out of this town. <laughs> and, and Dick's still there and I left. But uh, dad, if I were named Jerry Freedom, that means that I'm supposed to live into the role that Jerry had in this community. It's the same thing it would have meant at the time of Jesus. I'm named Jerry. That means when dad stops being a business leader in this community, I'm supposed to rise up to be that business leader. My dad was on the school board, so therefore I would be a political leader. Uh, He eventually went to the state legislature. I would be not only a businessman, but a political leader. People would look to me to be a guide in this community. That's what would happen if I were named after my dad, Jerry. Or it may be that Jerry means something. Now, I've never looked this up before, but what does Jerry mean? I know what Matt means. It means gift of God. And I don't know that my dad didn't name me for gift of God. Actually, I know they didn't name me for gift of God. He named me for, you know this, don't you? Yeah, Matt Dillon of Dodge City, Kansas. I'm named for a fictitious Hollywood guy. I mean, really. So don't make fun of me anymore. I'll pull my fake pistol on you. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So whole point was you were supposed to live into your name, either the meaning of the name or why you were given that name because of a relative or some body and soul name. So I want you to know what Ananias means. Ananias means whom God has graciously given. How cool is that? Ananias means generous. God is being generous to you because of this guy in your life. How cool is that? Ananias, live into your name. Now, there are three Ananias, as far as we can tell, in the New Testament. The first one we've already covered. The first one was in Acts 5. You remember what happened there. They said, hey, we're, we've given everything to Jesus. But they hadn't given everything to Jesus. And first, uh, one of them falls down dead. Then the other one falls down dead. They're both, Ananias and Sapphira, both die that day because of a lack of integrity with their finances. So, they didn't live up to the name generous. That's what we're saying. Then there was somebody later on in Acts that's going to be the high priest. His name would be Ananias. And this high priest is actually working for Paul's arrest. He cooperated with the conspirators. And eventually he was murdered by assassins himself. And then there is this Ananias. So we've got three Ananiases. One of them live into the name. Now I don't know what your name means. Mine's gift of God. Am I living into the name that my daddy gave to me? Am I being a gift to people? But you know something? Sometimes people aren't even thinking about what names mean or that you'd fill in some gap. I remember at a church I was at in Jackson here, first church I went to, 
the pastor would baptize babies. Let's just say I was, I was an infant. I was a one-year-old, and he'd baptize his baby. He'd say, uh, he says, uh, your name is Matt, but from now on, your name is Christian. I always loved that. That you could be dedicated, you could be baptized in the early ages, say, live into that name. Christian, whatever your name was, live into this name. Be a Christ-like one. That's your destiny. That's what his plan is for you. So Ananias is living into that name because God says, okay, I've got the most murderous man out of the synagogue of the freedmen, and I need someone bold. I need someone audacious. I need someone that will say, yes, sir, when I ask him to go to that guy and give him this message. And Ananias says, here I am. Send me. You know something? God needs us to be that people. He needs those of us today to say, I don't know what it is. Maybe we don't know what it is, and that's, that's great. In fact, it might even be better. I don't know what it is, Lord. You're asking me. All I know is I want my name to be here am I. Here am I. And Isaiah, I love that. Send me. Here I am. I'm willing to go where you want me to go. I'm willing to do what you want me to do. I'm willing to give what you want me to give no matter what it is. Here I am. Send me. This is what I believe. Most of us have had an Ananias in our lives. I can tell you I've probably had two or three of them, but one major one in my life. And I want to be Ananias the way that guy was Ananias for me. I want to be able to enter into someone's life, encourage them, disciple them, and head them in a God direction. I think that's the meaning of my life. That's what it means for me to be a gift of God. But this is what I believe about your life. You didn't come here today ready to listen to this, but you're here today, so I believe God wants you to hear this. He's asking you to be an Ananias in somebody's life. It might be the most pagan man in the community. But he's saying, listen, I need someone to talk to that guy. And you just need to say, I'll do it. Here am I. Now, maybe that person will come to you. That's what happened here. Saul came to Ananias and actually wanted him dead, Ananias, probably. But he came to Ananias, and Ananias said, well, the Lord said this is going to happen. Probably took a deep breath. Let's roll. He said, during my devotions, Saul, God spoke to me. He already said he spoke to you. This is what you need to hear. Someone bold, someone audacious, someone has said, here I am. I believe it today. God is asking you to be ananized in someone's life, and it could start unfolding this very day. Are you gutsy enough to say, I'm ready. Let's rock and roll. Let's do what has to be done. Because Ananias did what he did. Let me tell you what happened. We don't know for sure. But tradition says that Ananias went on to be a bishop of the church and then was killed dead because of this faith that he perpetuated through that ministry with Saul. Saul went around and popularized the message of Jesus. 
And because that message was popularized, he rose to bishop. He must have felt good on that day. Mom must be so proud of me. Jesus must be so proud of me. And then he'd be murdered for that faith. I wonder what he thought about on that day. I bet he was thinking, he told me to tell Saul how much he must suffer for the name of Jesus. And here I am with the honor and the privilege of being able to suffer as well. So yesterday at Foundry, some of you were there, and I thank God for those of you who came. Vide the board and a few others that we thought might be interested in this. And if you are interested, we are going to be starting a team in this church for the days ahead. Let me tell you what happened. Yesterday during uh, the 9 o'clock hour, we invited some people to Foundry to start talking. Just start talking about um, church planting. Because Elijah and I have felt like Jesus wants us to think in terms of planting 10 churches in 10 years between our two churches. So together we would plant one, and then those three churches would plant one, and then those four churches would plant one, and then those, and we just want to start a movement of churches. Not just, hey, let's plant one or two. We want to start a movement. And then those 10, someday I retire, and after retirement we still want those 10 to keep it going and eventually get 20, and eventually get 30 churches like Dayspring and Foundry in the Metro Jackson area. So we're talking about this vision. It's going to take sacrifice. It's going to take people. It's going to take leadership. And sacrifice and people and leadership we don't have right now. You see, it's not very careful planning. We're planning on, we don't have what it takes to do this, and we think Jesus wants us to do it anyway. And so we're thinking about that. And so we were there yesterday, and first thing was, uh, he said, okay, said, Elijah said, where are we going to get the money? Why don't you get in small groups and, and, and talk about where are we going to get the money? So we talked about that and had kind of sharing time. Then he said, okay, where are we going to get the leadership to do this? Get in small groups and talk about where we're going to get the leadership. So we got in small groups talked about where we're going to get the leadership. Now, Will and Kristen were in my group, and so we had kind of a fun group. We said, uh, I think I know where the leadership's going to come from. How about you guys? We decided together, we think the leadership for future church plants are going to come from places we had no idea. Some of you are going to be leaders. Some of you may be pastors. We have no idea, but we decided that in all likelihood, based on people who want to step forth and do ministry, people who want to step forth and get discipled, people who want to step forth and be anonized kind of people, probably are going to come from... Prisoners and addicts. You want to start a movement with prisoners and addicts? Indeed, we do. Now, that's not all we're going to do. But if that's what it takes, if that's what Jesus is doing, that's what we want to be about. And so, we threw it open. So, who... uh, Who... Is Jesus going to bless us with to be leaders of this movement? And uh, someone raised their hand and said, well, I think some of the people that we need to be leaders in this church planning movement of Foundry and Dayspring are drunk right now. (laughs) And that reminded me of something. I was trying to dredge it up so I could tell it during the meeting that I, I couldn't. My brain isn't quite what it used to be. 
So I said, I'll just get together for the sermon tomorrow. So I looked it up. A guy named Russell Moore works for the Southern Baptist. Russell Moore was once talking with a very famous evangelical theologian named Carl F.H. Henry. Carl Henry worked with the Billy Graham Association, wrote bunches and bunches of books, just a brilliant guy, one of the guys you could count on if you wanted good, conservative, orthodox, biblical theology. And so he's talking, him and a bunch of his buddies were talking with uh, Carl Henry, and they were bemoaning the church. Isn't the church terrible? Isn't the church pitiful? Isn't the church... And finally they asked Henry, do you see any hope at all from the coming generation of evangelicals? Any hope at all? And Henry said this, of course, but the leaders of the next generation might not be coming from the current evangelical establishment. They're probably still pagans. Who knew that Saul of Tarsus was to be a great apostle to the Gentiles? He was trying to kill Gentiles, for crying out loud. Who knew that God would raise up a C.S. Lewis? Who was an atheist? And when he got converted, he says, I was the most, most reluctant convert in all of England. I didn't want to come. And God said, yeah, whatever, come on. I got converted. Or a Charles Coulson. And you don't know Charles Coulson, perhaps. We're kind of dating ourselves here. But Charles Coulson went to jail for Watergate. Found Jesus before he went to jail, then deepened his life in jail, got out of jail and said, let me start a great prison ministry called Prison Fellowship. They were unbelievers, said Carl Henry, who once saved by the grace of God were mighty warriors for the faith. So Russell Moore said, yeah. And then he went on a little uh, cool thing on his blog. He said, the next Jonathan Edwards might be the man driving in front of you with the Darwin Fish bumper decal. The next Charles Wesley might be a misogynist, profanity-spewing hip-hop artist right now. The next Billy Graham might be passed out drunk in a fraternity house right now. The next Charles Spurgeon might be making posters for a gay pride march right now. And the next Mother Teresa might be managing an abortion clinic right now. For that to change, God needs an Ananias, and not just one. He needs a whole bunch of people to be Ananias, to be God's great interceptors, to go in and to gently listen, to pray with, to hope for, and to convert, by God's grace, people to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You, 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 you are Ananias. Live into it. Jesus, I want to pray a miracle prayer right now. I want you, maybe with a still small voice, maybe with a loud voice, maybe through a circumstance, maybe through putting someone right in front of us. I want you to talk to us this week about our role for being an Ananias in some Saul's life. Jesus worked that miracle. Help us to hear you. And in that moment, reply, here I am. Send me. 
In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. God bless you all.